The Holy Gospel according to John, the eighth chapter. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The choir over here is messing with this, me this morning, last hour. Do you still have the fans? Oh, you put them away? Oh, a few of you have them. Last hour at the end of that hymn, they all were standing there with Martin Luther's face in front of theirs. So those of you who still have them, hold them up. Uh, we actually gave those out at the um, Music in Plymouth this past summer. So they're, you know, the typical paper fans. You go like this, and they're a picture of Martin Luther's face, and it just says, Martin Luther fan. <laughs> it's cute, huh? Ed Waz, are you here? Ed and Lisa, no, but Lisa, I think you had something to do with that too, so thank you. She's shaking her head, no, she did not. She doesn't want to take credit for it. So a story to begin the 500th anniversary uh, of the symbolic start of the Reformation. This is a true story. I'm going to tell you right now, because when you hear it, you're going to think, boy, that sounds a lot like a story that a pastor would make up to use in a sermon on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Truly happened. So this involves uh, Amy, my wife, and, and my daughter, Sarah, who is not with us today. Um, Amy is, not our daughter though. Uh, so Sarah, some of you know, has special needs, which among other things means she does not have the gift of language. So she uses an iPad for a variety of reasons. She plays some games on it. He does a little bit of primitive communications using it. But the way it presents itself at our house most often is that she plays lots and lots of music uh, using YouTube. And uh, it plays very loudly, by the way. Uh, iPads have in the settings a maximum volume, volume setting that you can change. Hers is broken, so we can't dial it back. Um, anyway, you could say the soundtrack of the Westermeyer household, thanks to Sarah, is highly eclectic. Uh, in the I'm not making this up. In the spring, we will hear Halloween songs. In the summer, we will hear Christmas carols recently were heard, It's a Small World After All, in Japanese. Um, lately, she's been on this jag where she's listening to all kinds of music from Westminster Abbey at royal events like royal weddings or the Queen's Jubilee, which I actually really like. Um, but last week, again, I, I'm not making this up. This has never showed up before on her iPad. But out of the blue, what do you think starts playing? A mighty fortress is our God. And I thought, wow, I got to use that. Uh, <laughs> and it made me think of a couple of things as a preliminary uh, to this message. Uh, one is it, it was a very sort of intimate and personal reminder in my own life of the incredible legacy 
of Martin Luther. As if we need another reminder, right? I mean, his face has not only been on fans, but it has been on billboards in the Twin Cities. There are a ton of concerts going on uh, right now, both here and around the world. There have been countless books and articles. Just yesterday in the Star Tribune, there was not one, but two articles about Martin Luther. So his legacy is everywhere, and it just, it sort of reinforced that when a child, 500 years after his life, with special needs, stumbles onto a hymn by him on her iPad, I was kind of like, wow, he really was kind of a big deal. Um, the second thing it, it lifted up for me was the importance and significance of music in our Lutheran tradition. Martin Luther accomplished many things, but one of the things he did was he wrote a lot of hymns, A Mighty Fortress, far and away his most famous, it actually may be one of the most famous things he ever did. And in our Lutheran tradition, as Linda Armstrong mentioned a few weeks ago in our Your Gifts Make a Difference segment, um, one of the things we lift up, because Luther thought music was so important, is we lift up music in our tradition. I'm a lifelong Lutheran. I was born and raised in this tradition. I am so grateful for the gift of music in our tradition sort of globally, but I'm also really grateful for the amazing music that we are blessed with here in this faith home that, that we're faith, uh, the place that we call our home. So I just want to pause and say thank you to our staff, to all of the choirs, to St. Anthony Brass, um, oh, Stone Arch Brass, you guys change your name, sorry. Um, and, you know, it's not only music uh, in worship services, but this year particularly, we've been focusing on making sure that our children have music, uh, from the littlest Faith Creek kids to uh, confirmation to high school as they gather. So can we thank all of our musicians for their gift of music? All right, so the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, so what do we talk about besides my daughter, Sarah, finding a mighty fortress? Because the date, October 31st, 1517, is connected to Martin Luther's life, it's the date that he uh, placed the 95 Theses on the castle church door at Wittenberg, um, it's inevitable that we're gonna have to focus a little on Luther, right? And Luther, as I've just mentioned, was this towering, titanic, figure that, that whose shadow is cast over all of Western civilization. There are lots of things we could talk about about Martin Luther. We could talk about his upbringing with a father that he didn't always get along with, first time that's ever happened in the world. Um, we could talk about, as a young man, the choice he had to make between being a lawyer, which is what his dad wanted to do so he could help run the family business, or becoming a monk and then a priest. We could talk about his life as a monk, which was really awful. He, he felt like he never lived up to the God who stood in judgment of him. We could talk about his work as a biblical um, scholar. We could talk about the 95 Theses. Um, and I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I just want to pause to, to mention uh, one of the names that those of us in the Reformation tradition call ourselves, or that the world calls us, is Protestants. And we mistakenly believe that we are called that because we believe that there's this sort of uh, superhero view of Martin Luther standing up at the, the castle church door, pounding the theses, and you know, the whole world shakes. And um, this would be a longer conversation, but historically, the word Protestant actually doesn't show up until 12 years after the theses are presented, and it has to do actually with something that's really not connected to Martin Luther. It has to do with the debate uh, related to the German states as these new religions are coming about. I think that's important to mention just even in passing, because I don't think it's particularly helpful or healthy for us to identify only as people who are against something, right? 
And when Luther promulgated those 95 theses, he really intended them as a conversation starter, a discussion point. And if you looked at your bulletin this morning, you will notice uh, that he intended to have an academic disputation about them, to talk about them, and just again to reinforce the fact that they weren't immediately uh, a huge deal. Do you know how many people came to that academic disputation? Zero. Not a single one. Now, that said, the, the theses did eventually gain a head of steam, and so we could, back to my original list, we could talk about four years later at the Diet of Worms where Luther very courageously stands up in front of the most powerful figures of his day, ecclesiastical and political, and says, look, this is what the Bible tells me, this is what my own understanding tells me, unless you can convince me otherwise, I cannot go back on what I have said. And he does that at the very real risk of being put to death. So he was a very courageous man, we can't forget that. We could talk about his work as a translator, other than the Reformation, um, the, the translation he did of the Bible, which wasn't the first German translation, there were actually quite a few before his, but it was the best and it really solidified modern German. He translated the New Testament in 11 weeks and then ultimately the um, Old Testament as well. And by the way, in the 16, early half, first half of the 16th century, fully one-third of all published books or pu published works in German were by Martin Luther. So he was this publishing powerhouse. We could talk about that. We could talk about his family life. He was married to Katharina von Bora, a former nun. Together they had six children. Four of them lived to adulthood. Uh, one of them, Magdalena, died when she was 13 in Martin Luther's arms, which for me at least is a really important reminder of an intimate, personal moment in Martin Luther's life. We tend to think of him as sort of this bombastic public figure, but he was a man who understood grief and pain, uh, watching his own 13-year-old daughter uh, uh, die. And then, of course, in any conversation about Martin Luther, you cannot leave out his failings and his flaws. Uh, for, first and foremost among those, the fact that he was a terrible, awful, angry anti-Semite. Um, and that anti-Semitism of, of Luther's rippled down through the centuries. The Lutheran Church has very publicly uh, and very uh, aggressively pushed back against that and apologized for it. Our Lutheran brother, or our Jewish brothers and sisters rather, have acknowledged our, the statement from the Lutheran Church apologizing for that as one of the best ever put out there. So we could talk about any of those things, we could talk about his theological positions, but I just want to spend a moment beginning with the end. And what I want to talk about briefly is the final six words written by Martin Luther. They were written on a scrap of paper two days before he died. It was at the end of a short paragraph he wrote. It was found in a pocket, uh, in his pocket after his death. And the final six words, in English at least, two very short sentences were, we are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. Now what Luther meant by that was that we do not create ourselves, we do not sustain ourselves, and most importantly, we do not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We do not have the power or the capacity, which is why every week when we confess, we say words in this case that are like this or words like them, most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, right? 
So we need a loving God to free us for us. And what do we do in the face of that loving God? All we can do like beggars is hold our hands out and receive that forgiveness, receive that grace, receive that love, which very importantly frees us from the burden of feeling like we need to free ourselves. I've talked about this another time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this issue of freedom, which is mentioned in the gospel today, was hugely important to Martin Luther, so important that he actually changed the spelling of his name uh, to match a Greek word that means freed one, right? So this posture of being a humble beggar makes us, I think, precisely that, humble. It makes us gracious and grateful. Now, humility is not a trait that is often associated with Martin Luther, but if he were alive today, I actually think he would say, yeah, that's the kind of posture you should have in 2017. You all know, we all know that the Reformation sparked a whole lot of unintended consequences, including lots of fights, not just theological, but actual wars. And I think it's fair to say maybe that some of those were probably inevitable. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to lay them all at Martin Luther's feet, but he sparked something that sort of blew up all of, of, of Western civilization. And in 2017, in a time when uh, most people, or many people at least, are suspicious and cynical of organized religion, I do not think we do ourselves any favors by trying to pick fights anymore. We talk about this every time we have a new member class. We talk about how in this age, again, of suspicious, suspicion of organized religion and cynicism about organized religion, Christians don't do ourselves any favors by throwing stones at other Christian traditions. Can I get an amen to that? And nor do we do ourselves any favor or advance the gospel by fighting against those or being haughty or proud uh, against those who may not believe what we believe. So rather, I think we go back to that line of Luther's, we are beggars. This is true, and it reminds us of that posture that we have of humble gratitude to receive the love and forgiveness of God, which then we can give back in the same way, humbly and graciously to a world in need. And in a posture like that, I think we both honor the past 500 years of our tradition and we also set ourselves up well for the next 500 years. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for your grace and forgiveness which come to us freely. We pray that you will help us to remind ourselves that we are beggars who can do nothing but receive that forgiveness. We thank you today for the witness and ministry of Martin Luther who helped us to remind us of that fact. And we pray that you will help us to turn out to the world filled with grace and love for people in need. And all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.